Welcome back to the Tape Deck. Really appreciate you guys tuning in again. Uh, my name is Rob Mora, and with me today is Mr. Evan Flory Barnes. Evan, welcome. Hey, man, how's it going? I'm it's doing good. good. Thank Thanks you. For having me. Yeah. Evan is known for playing upright bass in the local Seattle jazz fusion band, Industrial Revelation. They're like local legends. You need to go check them out. Um, Lately, he's working on his own solo stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You're working on a new first album? Yep. Cool. It's going to be called Love Letters to the Bohemian Triangle. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, it's Love Letters from the from Bohemian Triangle. From the Bohemian Triangle. Triangle. Yeah. You know, but you can make, you know, I, the goal is to make love letters to the Bohemian Triangle for Right now, right now though, when you're inside of it, you gotta <laughs> you get, get out. Lost. You gotta, yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta get out. Then you can write. Then you, gotta, then you can write letters to it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Let me come around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so welcome. Um, Thank you. So I went to go see you guys at the Nectar Lounge uh, at the beginning of June last year. Oh yeah. Uh, literally floored. That by was a great you guys. show. Yeah, you guys killed it. That was a really great packed show. house. Uh, it was great. So you might, I don't, I will preface this by saying I don't know too many upright bassists, but you are the best upright bassist I've ever met in my entire life. Thank you, Todd. Yes, that is fantastic. Thank you. How long have you been playing for? Gosh, we are in September. We will be at year 25. Holy crap, 25 years. Yeah, let's see. Well, let's see. Actually, did we hit year 25? Yeah, we hit year 25 last year. Cool. Because I started playing, I was 14, uh, fall of, yeah, fall, fall was the 14, cool. I was 39, yeah, we, we, so we're almost, we, we are in our 25th year, crazy. approaching our 26th year. That's crazy. Now, crazy. I can imagine, upright bass is a large, tall instrument, mm-hmm. like, at, I don't know how tall you were when you were 14, but like, is it hard to start playing upright bass, like, just physically, like... You know, it's it's interesting. I, you know, I've I've been I was a little shorter than I am now. I'm a, just shy of six three. I was like just shy of six two. Yeah. When I was in that age, so I was like really, I was really tall. I was like That's I used to play. I was like I wanted to play basketball back in the day, and then I I thought I was gonna grow to be like six 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 seven, but then I kind of settled at around six three. Yeah, hit that cap. But, but you know, what's funny is my orchestra had um, in high school had two. Uh, had two uh, two girls who were like five one and five two. Okay, and they played. And actually, they played really well. And my teacher, um, he was like five six, mm-hmm. uh, a classical teacher. I mean, I think the first part, like, it just takes a lot to make sound yeah. on an instrument. Like, I have a student who started playing when he was four. Is that four? I fourth for grade. Second, excuse me. I thought for a second we were talking about basketball stuff. Yeah, for a fourth, second, said fourth grade. <laughs> And, you know, it's like, it's not like, I mean, even when you sound badly, you can give like a horn. I mean, I, there, I won't say that you have stuff to build the embouchure and whatever else and people, but they can squeak out sound, which is in, on the bass, you, just the physicality of like pressing those big strings down. It's just a lot. Like you, like you can't even approach playing like the lower strings on that instrument for a little bit, you know? And so... It does take it does take some. There's some advantages to being tall. There's some advantages to having big hands. But there are plenty of players that aren't tall 
mm-hmm. and don't have big hands that sound beautiful. That's true. Because so. really, all it takes is practice. Absolutely. You know, hand strength, muscle strength. You know, muscle memory. Yeah. It's all in it. Absolutely. You know, I know when I was learning how to play bass, it took me a while. You know, like I'm a relatively short guy. My hands aren't the biggest, but you know, you figure it out mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then if you just keep going at it. You, Anybody can be anybody and Absolutely. play anything. Absolutely. Know? So I've known you for playing upright bass. Do you play any other instruments? I play, so I play bass guitar as well. I play a little, uh, little guitar, play a bit of keys. I can mess around on the cello nice. from my cl- uh, classical bass background and sound like I know what I'm doing. I, I, I taught some cello les- a, a cello lesson at one point, but um, there's some technical things that are a little different. But... I feel like I can make a musical statement with most string instruments that sounds compelling, but I wouldn't call them, like, you know, I could, like, mess around on ukulele, create a little thing, and it would sound cool, but yeah. I wouldn't call myself a ukulele player. You know That's what I mean? True. Yeah. It's like you get a point where, like, you can spend enough time with instruments where you can make musical statements without necessarily being a pianist. You or, just dabble in Yeah. It. And so, so I, I but I, I, I performed on piano and... Uh, the basses and a little bit of guitar and cello. Cool. Yeah. I imagine you're probably better at all of those instruments than I am right now. Uh, you know? no. I think, especially in a stringed instrument, once it, all the stringed instruments, like in a, in essence, they are sort of all connected a mm-hmm. little bit. You Absolutely. Know? Like upright bass, if you switch it over to bass guitar. It's yep. just essentially just moving at ninety degrees. Mm-hmm. You know. Is it easier playing bass guitar than it is playing upright bass for you? It's different. It's it's mm-hmm. different. You know, I've been I've been really getting into my my upright bass discovery of late. I've been really like really dialing into like practicing it and and just th- similar to how I did my upright bass practice in like uh, college, like just kind of getting into more of the technical aspects because I started out playing. Played up electric bass before I started playing upright, and you know at the time I was just playing by ear, and so there was very much like that sensibility and just and also just discovering the instrument. Yeah. Um, but now it's like they're they're different. I mean, there's like there's like a certain touch you have to have on the electric bass that yeah. if you apply it from the upright, it's too hard. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just you they become different instruments. Yeah. But that do similar things and so I, I've been having a good time discovering that cool that's excellent yeah so for this new album um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine a lot of these songs being composed where do you start the composition on like do you start them with piano do you actually play melodies on upright bass and then then those transfer to songs or or is it just like improv these, you know? these songs come out of like these loops that they actually they started on piano yeah. And so they're, they're these little like, I call them these little chord mantras that repeat over and and, and, it, and it you know hip hop is a big influence especially like like early '90s hip hop and like there's a certain sort of way the track becomes like this puts you in this trance and so that influence is there and it's like a lot of these tunes are like you know two three chord ideas that just kind of create that trance and then. Um, and then my melodies yeah. that I have in my head come off, come you know they come off top of that, and then add lyrics to it, and yeah. so and then there's also certain little little like catchy beats that go along with it, right? And I think uh, that vibe also comes out of like a electronica Bjork influence, you know? Yeah. So it's like so there's like 
so there's all these little tools and then also I also do a lot of composing and arranging and orchestration and so there's also a desire to bring that element into this album too yeah and so it's but at its start it's just these these kind of loops of like two three chord ideas that then develop this trance feeling and then I sort of sing the lyric line on top of it excellent yeah that's cool um what do you use to loop with? Is it like a loop pedal I'm, just through a DAW? You know, no, it's, I mean, I should say that the idea of just the, the it's like, not let's say like a loop loop pedal, but just in this idea of like it being this, this uh, repetitive ah. thing as opposed to like um, the chords moving in a sort of like typical tonal, uh, tonal song progression, you know, right. like, you know, one, three. Okay. Or one six two five or cool. one four, four, you know, like the classic one six four five, you know, these classic progressions that make songs. These are these almost. It's almost funny. I I I acknowledge this influence of like the album Kind of Blue, and that Miles yeah. Davis like modal influence, mm-hmm. where these mel- these melodic ideas are being built on these chords, mm-hmm. and so or these or this mode, and so I think that that that's actually a profound influence too. Just the yeah. kind of that modal jazz, like, yeah. Yeah. So when I yeah, so it's like there's a rep, there's a, a sense of repres, rep, repetition that creates a loop. I'm interesting. I'm like I'm techn, technology technolo, technologically still pretty in the dark ages. I'm trying to catch. <laughs> I want to catch up because I like I like loops and I like virtuosic bass playing. And I feel like you know having one of those things that could do a lot of could be true. Yeah. What's your opinion on Thundercat? I dig him. I dig <laughs> yeah, him. A he's lot. a great guy. He's a uh, you know, he's what I like about him is that you know I I like his background in the sense of like being this you know session bass player like playing with like Erica Badu and different things and then mm-hmm. playing with uh, I can't remember he's if he played for Suicidal Tendencies and Infectious Grooves like like Robert Trujillo or just Infectious Grooves or just Suicidal. Well, I know um I know Stephen played for Suicidal Tendencies when he was younger. That's right. Yeah, and um. I don't know about infected groups. Yeah, okay, so... But it was a late period, like, yeah. suicidal, like, later. That's right. Because yeah. I remember that Robert Trujillo played for both. Yeah. And I and so and so what I think is so cool is that he's gone from this sort of... To really create his, his own thing and, and to really, like... You know, I, I mean, I love his playing on, like, you know, the Flying Lotus tracks and oh, Kendrick tracks. That that's did, where did. I learned about him. Yeah. It was, like, through Cosmogramma. Yeah. When I was discovering oh, that in yeah. college. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's offset by the fact that he has just this lovely, like, falsetto, this, this angelic, like, yeah. you know, he can offset that and sort of turn it into his own. Yeah. And I think what's funny about him in particular, I went to go see him last year, I think it was la- early last year, mm-hmm. um, at the Showbox yeah. downtown. And uh, at that point, he was most known for, he had just put out Drunk, yeah. and uh, he was starting to get a fan base that was knowing him for... His not only for his collaborations with more well-known musicians, but right. like his own sort of he had singles that were based in like R and B instead Absolutely. of like jazz fusion. Yep. And so I think well, I went to this concert, and a lot of people that were in the audience were like college age. You know, it makes a lot of sense, like of the younger crowd, and they were definitely there, I believe, to see him like do that act and like be in that scene. And the whole concert was essentially like two hours of the freakiest jazz fusion like yeah, they yeah, just yeah. went off the wall yes. like 
so much technicality it was crazy melted my face off yeah yeah yeah. and then it's essentially it was like 80 percent of that and 20 percent like all right we'll slow it down and we'll play some yeah, of the more yeah. stuff i'm well known for but i think it was really cool that he was introducing a lot of these people that wouldn't normally listen to this type of music well that's you know? what i really love about him and all all the all the cats that come out that uh west coast get down vibe i came in brain feeder yeah Kamasi. All, yeah like it i i think it's cool that there is this era and I you know and I and I feel blessed to, to have touched on this a bit in playing with industrial revelation where you know where you are recognizing that you can and, and it's so weird because I feel like jazz dudes it's kind of why I'm kind of moving away from a certain aesthetic is that um like sometimes jazz can have this sort of unless hard done by no one gets a sort of Redhead, redhead stepchild of music vibe, and, <laughs> and what I love though is like you know now and in, in nowadays you have you know have these instrumental musicians you know I mean and um, or really proficient I mean from Robert Glasper to Kamasi to mm-hmm. uh, you know Stephen and it's really it's in to uh, Snarky Puppy and the list goes on mm-hmm. and you know I think I think part of it just as we were talking about a little earlier uh, before we got started was just you know I think. I think one thing that streaming does and playlist culture does that's a thing I'm going to call it a it thing it is is Absolutely. that people are used to hearing different vibes of songs kind of kind of that are similar but they're moving in I think one thing about instrumental music is that it allows for, like I mean Industrial Revelation we do this all the time we shift from like kind of a classic swing feel to like something that sounds like Jay Dilla to something that sounds like like a uh, sugar roast, something that sounds mm-hmm. like you know uh, Alice in Chains, and all in the same song. Yeah, you guys are super wide ranging in that regard. And I think people hear like that. I think people, I think people have the ears for that. Now they do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's funny? We've I've talked about this on previous episodes before, and with friends. You mm-hmm. know, I think that instinct to want to listen to everything has always sort of been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people who really like. Like they start to discover it when they're younger. They're the ones that'll that would go and troll for records and whatnot. Right. The barrier for entry was just so much higher back then, right. you know. Especially during a time when you almost had an identity that was based around the kind of music that you listen to. Mm-hmm. It's not that way anymore no. because, you know, streaming opening up the floodgates to everything that was ever released ever. Yep. You know, you just like everything. Yep. You know. Yep. So I think that that shift is is. It's it's representative of the times, but I think it's always just sort of been there. As an I, I agree. Thing. I agree. Yeah, I've always trusted that in people musically. <laughs> I've always trusted that people. Yeah, you'll get this as long as the feeling, if the feeling and vibe is there, then then it's just introducing a person to maybe some materials they haven't listened to before. But at the same time, I think about film scores and how like. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have listened to avant-garde classical music, whether they know it or not, through a ton of movies they've watched they just, you know so I've always had this I've always thought I've thought about this for a long time this, this, this kind of idea of if you serve the music up with feeling and soul doesn't matter what if the, it's a genre yeah exactly very pleasantly post-genre yeah you know post-genre is a term that's been thrown around a lot ever since the internet took its hold yeah in the music industry you know uh some it's it's hard to label some works as post genre because right. I mean well a it's just a killer for the music industry it's right. like 
genre was there specifically so people could organize tracks yes. and albums into well this is what people who like this kind of music would listen to right you know and the idea of something going post-genre is something that the music industry would rather not want to think about yeah you know, but then the music industry there's a lot of things that they don't particularly want to think about right, right. now you know right. so i have a hard time i go back and forth on whether or not that term is is well it's a real term but i don't know if it I like describing some works as post-genre. Like, did you listen to, um, <coughs> there's this album that came out last year by this artist, Yves Tumor. It was called Safe in the Hands of Love. Have mm, you heard of it? No. It's great. Uh, it he out. does, uh, it's experimental, but it covers so many fields. Like, it, it covers R&B. Uh, there's, um, like, a ton of distortion. Like, he's known for, imagine, like, a very heavily distorted, kind of grungy, alternative R&B record with some shoegaze influence and mm. like mm. it's all over oh, the place oh that's great yeah totally check that totally out. check it out it was one of my favorite so, albums so, last so, year so it's called one more time Safe in the Hands of Love okay. by Yves Tumor I think it's Y-V-E-S okay. or Yves Tumor I don't know how to okay. pronounce it but sweet. yeah go check it out yeah sweet that's, that's awesome so let's you mentioned some influences of those let's dive right in okay like Early '90s hip hop, like any particular specific hip hop in general, West Coast, East Coast, you, you like know, that. I'd say, you know, the you know, Native Tongues, which is a Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. Um, There's a new book that came out recently about Tribe Called Quest called uh, "Go Ahead in the Rain." Oh, have you, have you heard of that? No, I just bought it. Uh, I'm like 10% of the way in. Brilliant read because I need to learn more about a Tribe Called Quest. I've loved them ever since. Kind of kind of late. I listened to their most recent album. Yeah, which was killer. Oh yeah, that no, album they, was they so went good. In. Yeah, that album was really good. Oh my god. Yeah, they, they 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 brought they brought it. What what they the intention that was that album was about they brought forth and then some. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. Like they retained exactly what was special about them. Mm-hmm. And then I just loved how it felt so classic. Oh yeah. You know, like absolutely. There was something about the production or mm-hmm. something or. There was just a sound that it, it's it felt like such a break from from modern rap production and like from what everybody yes. was doing. Like the technicality was there. Yes, the, it was so wide ranging. Yes, like totally great. Yeah, Q Tip is uh, oh, he's, he's, he's 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 a he's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, just as far as that aesthetic in there. So like so like all the stuff that comes out of like the East Coast and the in the in that boom bap feel and mm-hmm. so so you know. Uh, and and then even the under even the stuff that came that's a little more, you know, underground. But you know, I was listening to I mean that stuff really influenced me musically, just the way the tracks were and, and how those tracks um introduced me to jazz that I'd go on later to play because of the sampling. Yeah. You that's know, it really. Uh, like producers like DJ Premier and Pete Rock and Q Tip of course and mm-hmm. um Essentially, I, there's a there's a passage in the book that I'm reading that um, the author makes a good point. Like a lot of these artists that were borrowing samples from jazz and whatnot. I mean, it was a rather novel practice at the time, but a tribe called Quest literally named an album after their practice of bringing in like jazz and like low low bass music mm-hmm. into, which was that they wanted to try and bridge the gap and get older people to want to listen to their mm-hmm. records, you know, because they understood that what they were doing was important, yeah. you know, that it was part of this long, this long spanning tradition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's, it's cool that it did its effect well. Absolutely. You know, like, yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a, it's a cool thing. I think that's, 
I think that's the thing that gets overlooked by the, especially a certain generation in hip hop. I think, um, you know, my generation, and then even after, it's like, you know, it's, it's like people got introduced, and I think that's I think that ideas at work we're talking about like with music earlier, and people hearing hearing certain sounds and genres and approaches. I think, you know, people get introduced to certain things, like. You know, getting introduced to, um, you know, you it's interesting learning jazz and then becoming familiar with uh, with a tune because it was sampled by one of my favorite early '90s hip hop songs. Yeah, yeah. And so it's almost like I already know this tune because all the because in the jazz mm-hmm. tradition, jazz learning, you're like learning these tunes by ear or you're learning these tunes in sort of an academic setting. And so what's cool is when you already have. The tune in your head because of this hip hop sample, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's already in your bones, and that's really how one learns best, anyway. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. from ear, from memory, yeah, you know. So there's the jazz sampling, there's that repetition, obviously. Yep. You know, yep. hip hop is built on that. Yep. You know, just straight, straight up mantra. Re- yeah, I, I, that's I call it that because sometimes people talk about monotony, and I'm like, no, 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 no. The best mm-hmm. tracks put you in this this trance, this yeah. mantra, this sort of it, it's it's you know. Whether it's the chant, whether it's like, you know, the, the, some kind of some kind of repetitive thing. I mean, the idea of that is to create this feeling in, of space and openness. And so yeah. I, 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 I always try to say there's this fine line between monotony and mantra. And really, it's just intention, you know, yeah. like... Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's intention and it's some sort of weird, arcane, like, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes you just know it works, mm-hmm. you know. And even then... Um, I feel like I quote this almost every day, yeah. but Brian Eno once said that repetition is a form of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was uh, one of his uh, famous uh, oblique strategies. That's, I love him as a, just, I mean, I love him as an artist and as a, as a but just as a musical thinker. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's revolutionary. Just, yeah. You know, fuck, that's a discussion yeah, for yeah, a whole yeah, other you know, day. That's it. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, that, that, we can close the Brian Eno <laughs> rabbit hole. We're not going down that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's early 90s hip hop uh, Burek is a really interesting one. I freaking oh, love Burek. Oh, I love her. Oh my I, god! You know what's funny about her for me is that, and I believe a lot of people have this reaction. I think people have this reaction to music in general, like especially growing up. And you, like you said earlier, like this music being associated with your identity. And I think. Some of the best music has this effect. There's some that has this sort of instantaneous effect, like, you know, like way classic Motown just like, you know, hits you, right? Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, Curtis that. Mayfield. It's like this undeniable thing. But then there's some music that where the individual making it is offering something so personal and distinct to what they hear and feel that you first encounter like almost like a resistance to it. Like yeah. I remember when I first heard human behavior. And it's like this catchy, it's like this, in the video was weird, and I was like, what is this? This is weird. Yeah. Which is but funny. I like this. Yeah. But, and then asking myself, am I supposed to like this? <laughs> and then That's going, when it starts going a little far, when you're like, oh my God, when you start second guessing yourself. Yeah. Like, but, you're, but you're being hit instantaneously, and I feel like that's, that, that's that matters. Feeling, oh, that's like the feeling to trust in anything. Yeah. And so, successively, I felt like, you know, there was then 
I would hear people play, you know, uh, Post and then Homogenic, and I would just hear different tracks in it. And as my own musical development was growing, and I was playing in the orchestra and this hip hop band in high school, and then I just kept running into her tracks until finally it was Vespertine yes. that just brought me fully into her magic. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm all about Yeah. Vespertine is arguably the most magical mm. of all of her albums. Mm. You know, like mm. the one where you sort of put it on and it really does feel like you've been transported. Yes. You know? Like wow. and uh I, I think feel that way too. Yeah. Good. And it, it was funny because when she was making that album, she specifically wanted to make music for the laptop. Do you remember that about that? Yeah. She was like, yeah, we're going to oh. produce this, so it's going to be kind of treble heavy. Like, we want this, because laptops were just about to come out, you yeah. know, like, they were they were still super new, and he was, she was like, we're thinking ahead. We want this to be played, like, because she's like, she liked that idea of, you know, the the computer, like, this this sort of technological thing also allowing you a sense of privacy and, like, mixing, yes. mixing like, this sensual love feel with, like, this colder technology, which is what, essentially what she was doing on Homogenic. Yeah. You know? To this day, someone tried to make the argument to me that no one has combined electronic and classical quite like what she did on Homogenic, you know? You know, I would... I think it's been done... I think she was one of the first people to do it so effectively. She did it in a way that she created a vibe for herself and for others to be influenced by. And she also... I think she, like... this This is... because that sound, you know, that sound, it gets into, you know, there's the way it evolves in Vespertine within the addition of the, the harps and the glockenspiels yeah. and the music boxes, which I think that adds to the extra magic that's on that album. Did she create a music box specifically for that song? You know, I feel like she would have had to. I mean, I, I would have, I, you know, it's, I'm sure she did. I mean, yeah, she, that, she had the resources know, at that point. You know... <laughs> And it's so I I would I would agree. It's and it's what's so interesting about it is that it you know, and I think it's a huge influence on on me in in the sense of an orchestrator and just her her albums, you know, orchestrate they have a huge influence on my orchestration. And um you know, I think I think she did it so she creates this seamless thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think Part was also there's this understanding of both worlds. I think coming out of, you know, classical music school and coming out of London dance culture, mm-hmm. there's something about when you, when you are authentically affected by the music like that you're a part of, when you bring it forth, it's not like this idea where like, hey, hey, let's it's not this mental thing like, hey, let's bring, you know, da- dance tracks in. And electronica and classical music. It's just like, no, she was living and breathing. Yeah. Both aesthetics. Yeah. Exactly. And that makes sense that she would that she would be one of the first people to sort of bring it in. Well, she had that gumption, you know, mm-hmm. and the ambition, mm-hmm. you know. The thing that, that gets me so much about Bjork is that, especially in her early material, hell, even in her later material, she makes music that no one else makes. I, I wouldn't know. say could make, but people obviously could make that kind of music, but they choose not to because they're not Bjork. You know, like even her most recent album, oh, yeah. like Utopia, which I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of that album, but I loved the fact that she was so flute centric on that. Like she was trying to make a point to the instrumentation. Like, well, that's cool because cool. that's her roots, you know. That's her roots too. It's her, and so it's, it's funny, that album, and I'll, and I'll admit this, and I felt this about, I've, be, I've begun to honor this thing about certain albums 
where when you listen to it in two years time or whatever it's like you'll it's like it's like it will hit a certain thing you know for me the first album that I, I can recall ever doing that for me was uh, Hell to the Thief. Right? Yeah. Because I was all like, you know, I was all like Kid A and mm-hmm. um, Amnesiac. You know, those albums were like huge for me. Yeah. As far as like really, those were the more gateway albums because I remember I was hip to Radiohead and liked the early stuff, but then those albums like brought me fully in. And then I remember Hell to the Thief afterwards and like feeling like kind of let down by that album I think and, a lot of people were but then listening to it like five six years later I'm like oh shit I'm all about this mm-hmm. album gotta give it time yeah it, it, some things hit some, it's like some things hit and then some things it's like because I think what you're what you see is someone taking a departure from a certain thing that you might know them for or might you might it I I'm really interested, and this is a whole other can of worms we can open. I'm just interested in what mu- the way music hits people, yeah. like a certain aesthetic thing. Because when I listened to that uh, Utopia, and I found myself getting hit by all the tracks in a certain way, but then I also, as like saying, as I just acknowledge, like for as much of a Bjork fan as I am, I like, I'm not. I don't think I'm ready for this yet. Yeah, exactly. I, and it was it was it was it was good to say that. It's like, I don't think I'm ready for this yet. And I'm like, wow, me, Uber, Uber Bjork fan, like saying I'm not ready for this. But it's, sometimes it's what it is. Sometimes it's what it is. Like, sometimes it does take time. It takes, what's it, temporal distance. Mm, it's like yeah. one of those things where, I, you know, that gets me a lot of pop music. Mm-hmm. To me, sounds a lot better when it is divorced from today's you know context if it's blaring out of every radio I'm like ugh get it away from me yeah. like Lady Gaga mm-hmm. when I was when she was getting famous uh, and I guess you can also count early Katy Perry and Pesha mm-hmm. Kesha the same way because mm-hmm. they were all sort of part of one movement uh, when pop was moving into the club again mm-hmm. uh, I hated that stuff when I was in high school uh, I didn't even give it a chance mm-hmm. I mean I like listened to it I was like ugh and then it was like 2015, I came back to it. I was like, I need something to play at the gym. I'll put on this Lady Gaga album, like their first one. Yeah, thing. yeah. And I'm still of the opinion it's not a perfect album, but you take every single song all the way up to the middle of the album, The Fame, you have a perfect pop EP. Mm. Like, it's so mm. well done. It's yeah. crazy. And that's, I'm literally only thinking that because it was almost a decade since it came out. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm like, yep. it's, it's funny because you can listen to it on your own terms, technically. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it, really, yep, yep. when it comes down to it. Yep. You know, the fact that, especially, I think, more well-known music and, like, popular music, mm-hmm. not necessarily pop music, but, like, when it, I think, when it becomes your own, right. and that can only really happen when it's not relevant anymore. Like, when mm-hmm. it becomes your own, that's when you can start to mm-hmm. embrace it on your own terms, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess... For music like Bjork's Utopia, it wasn't exactly a hit album, but right. then she wasn't making, she wasn't planning on making hit albums no. at that point anyway. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah. She, you know, it, it does take some distance sometimes, yeah. you know. And I think some of the greatest artists know that. Like, oh, yeah. they know that they just sort of have to do what they want to do, put it out, and then if, if the response to it isn't immediately, like, great, they just sort of have to have faith that, like, well, you know, give it some time, maybe they'll appreciate it, right. you know. To let go of that responsibility. That's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do or to learn how to do when you start becoming an artist. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. I think it I think a large part of it is is so much 
of you know the concept of making it and reaching people and poisonous you know it well you got i mean there's a lot of work that has to be done to like so it really becomes about doing the thing that's dearest and important to you to get out and i and i and to and to honor if you have ambition and dreams by all means but there's this other part of it that's like i feel like it's interesting how again like sort of the the online culture, the internet culture, what it does is it, is it, you know, is it like you can now do that or have that or pretend you have that <laughs> without any soul or substance. You know? Yeah, and essentially. I, and I think, I, so I think it's a, again, it's a, I mean, just to I mean, just to bring this up, you know, I, I think we live in the age of live in the age of Jacob Collier, uh, who's this? Who's this? Uh, My boyfriend was talking to me about this guy. Oh, this guy who, um, yeah, it's like part part all the dude, all the dudes in six, Take Six, part Stevie Wonder, part Mozart, yeah, he like, part Tino like part yeah, you know, part uh, Chick Corea, part mm-hmm. uh, English choir boy. He just sort of can do it all. Like, and and so we live in this age of this, like, you know... And I remember seeing him at the uh, recital hall. He's going to be at the show box, and he's got a band now. But he did a solo show. It was brilliant, beautiful. And I love I love his tracks. So we have the A, but he, you know, his stuff came in the YouTube era. Mm-hmm. And he made all these tracks on YouTube of, like, you know, like little choirs of himself playing all the instruments in his room. So we have that. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have Ice J.J. Fish... <laughs> And, you know, and, and, you know, uh, I, I looked, I showed some friends that video for the car wreck effect of it. And, oh my God. and that's it. It's at like 75 million views. Of course it is. And that's the because thing. People is don't the, watch it because they, well, some people watch it because they like it. Yeah. Some people, like, and some people watch it just to, and that, but that's what's so interesting is that we have, you know, we have the age, we have everything in between. Mm-hmm. We have access to like this, you know, this wunderkind into this uber virtuoso and then you have this dude that is delusional enough to yeah to just put himself there's a part of it even though i it i mean i find it hilarious but there's a part of me that respects the gall Mm -hmm. well that was the whole thing about soldier boy yeah early like yeah a lot of people like to say he was sort of the first in that as far as this era Mm -hmm. you know of of building yourself up and, and finding... Because there have been acts in the past where it's essentially just who you knew, like Millie Vanilli. Right, you yeah. Know? Like, there have been people that have coasted on fame and weren't exactly talented. It's just easier to do now if you have the gumption. Right. And Soldier Boy was one of the first people to sort of... He wasn't necessarily a great musician. No right. one... Right. I yeah. mean, essentially his output weren't, weren't really representative of anything that you could consider good music. Right. But he sold himself you know and mm-hmm. and he that that's got gumption yeah know? absolutely yeah and i think about how many people who have a great deal of talent and ability don't have, like are like will be either hypercritical or over perfectionistic well what is that the dunning kruger effect I'm, or I, something I, like that okay. it's like if you're if you if you are truly I hate that term, truly smart, but it's like a smart person is super critical of themselves or, or like will pull themselves down because they are aware of how smart they are and they're like, well, I know I have a lot to learn, like right. something like that. Whereas people who are on maybe the less intelligent side 
aren't aware of the fact that there are an intelligence, so they believe themselves to be smart, and there's nothing holding them back. Right. They're like, I think that's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. Um, but I think that does make sense. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, you know? it's a, and it, I think that's the thing is that I think now there's so many tools and things available, like in the literal palm of our hand, that, you know, we can, you know, when we can share and put, you know, just put out things and create things on a level that, you know, just haven't been able to do and so I think there's a way in which you know there's ways in which people try to hold on to these old models and say oh it's not this it's not this it's not this it's not this and not that but at the same time it's like you know I remember seeing uh, this like a number of years ago seeing this uh, Stanley Clark master class and he was talking about you know this is like 2006 and so a lot of stuff wasn't even but he was like you know he's like now it's like back when I had to do a track when I was li- uh, like, you know, I had to go, I had to drive, and I had to go to the studio. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I had to go get tape. Oh my god! And then go to the studio, and then call up the players, and do this, <laughs> all this stuff. He's like, now I can have people come to my house, or I can lay down a bass part and maybe a drum part, and then send it to the musician I want to send it to, and then he can lay down his. And it's just like, it's like. You know, and he was just talking about. He was funny. He was foreseeing instrumental music becoming popular again, and he was foreseeing, um, uh, just technology and just social media and everything connecting people. He was just already talking about that then. So it's 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 profound to see it in this sort of wild, wild west. Some people using it to this really high level. Some people just figuring it out. I mean, like myself, I feel like I'm looking to find my voice and access point. And, and, and I think also just willing to, you know, I, I think just letting myself be a, a student and be in that sort of new creative space where you're just like trying things to try things. And, and I think that state is always so good to be in because then you're not... You're not consumed by the perfectionistic yeah. and that's again, paralysis. poisonous. It is poisonous. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, sometimes you just gotta let be, let be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, it's confidence. That's yep. what it comes Absolutely. down to. You know, that's Absolutely. that's the main thing. If you put something down, as long as it's played well, yeah. you, don't, you don't have to explain yourself. Yep. You know, yep. just sort of play it up. Like, oh, I hate giving away the secrets of the trade. I work in coffee, yeah. and. It's, 50% of it is good coffee and 50% of it is confidence. Right. It's like, if you sell something well, you know, you can pull any, anything sort of a decent shot and yeah. it can be like, oh, this tastes like this, this tastes like yep. this, you know? Yep. Power suggestion. Absolutely. You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, I think that's all the time that we have. All right. Um, we have an amazing conversation. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you so Adam. much, Evan, for being on this podcast. My pleasure. Um, and look out for his solo album. Love letters from the Bohemian Triangle. Yes, indeed. Got it correct. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the tape deck. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye.